0: We've been studying our spring series on the Gospel of Luke for five weeks in our King for All study of Luke. So far we have seen Jesus' first sermon in his hometown, his amazing revelation as a Lord of a Sabbath, and amazing faith of a Roman centurion, amazing compassion of Christ to resurrect the only son of a widow, and then amazing worship of a prostitute last week. Starting today we go to a new section in the Gospel of Luke. Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 51 to chapter 19, 27 describes Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Up to now, Jesus ministered in the northern Galilee area. From here on, we will see Jesus and his ministry on the road. The focus of his ministry in his journey to Jerusalem was to train disciples was to train his disciples. Yes, while Jesus served the multitude on the road, Jesus' main focus was to prepare his disciples as the witnesses of his redemptive suffering on the cross in Jerusalem so that they can preach later the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection to the whole world. With that, let's read our text today, Luke chapter 9, 51 to 62. Let's read it responsively. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, The foxes have dens and the birds have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the floor and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Flowers fall and grass withers, but the word of God lasts forever. Today's text has two vignettes. The first story about the Jesus encounter with an unwelcoming Samaritan village. And the second, a series of a conversation about following Jesus. And Luke combined these two stories together to show us what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. And here I want us to recognize something basic and foundational about relationship with Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we begin to move with Jesus. Because Jesus is a good shepherd and we are his sheep. You know, relationship between shepherd and sheep is basically moving together. Moving together. So, a healthy shepherd sheep relationship is a shepherd's lead and the sheep follows. Unhealthy shepherd and sheep relationship, sheep leads or gets lost, and the shepherds not just follow, but has to search and rescue sheep. So, before I begin, who is leading your relationship with Jesus, you or Jesus? The reason I remind you of this basic fact is that believing Jesus means following Jesus. Believing Jesus is following Jesus. To believe Jesus is more than conceptual and cognitive. It entails moving toward God and living with a purpose because Jesus never settles, always moves. Jesus that I know constantly leads me out of whatever comfort zone, whatever box that, you know, I settle in. Jesus constantly moves, moves me out. And today's text, we see many, many, you know, phrases, moving, you know, uh, phrases like a setup went into, walking along the road, where you go, Jesus never settled down, but constantly moves. Therefore, what is a discipleship? Discipleship means following Jesus with a trust and obedience. Following Jesus with trust and obedience. So how do you know if you are following Jesus with a trust and obedience? If you follow Jesus faithfully, you will have footprints of a discipleship. Footprints of a discipleship. Eleanor Roosevelt once said this, Many people will walk in and out of your life, but only true friends will leave footprints in your heart. Only true friends friends leave footprints in your heart. When we follow Jesus as a faithful, obedient disciples, we also leave lasting footprints for others, hopefully our families and friends. Disciples of Christ, so therefore have a certain characteristic footprints in their life, and I want us to examine our relationship and our life journey with these footprint. So first, let, uh, let us see the context of our uh, text today. Luke opens the new major stage of Jesus' public ministry and life in verse 51 in this way. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why did Luke express Jesus' return to Father in this way? Time to be taken up to heaven. Who does this expression of being taken up to heaven remind you of? Who? in the Bible? Somebody say loud. Elijah. Yes, Elijah. You will see a lot of uh, references to Elijah in today's story. Luke actually compares and contrasts Jesus with Elijah because our Lord fulfilled all the works and wishes of Old Testament prophets and Elijah was a representative of all prophets. By the way, earlier in Luke chapter 9, 24 to 36, Luke tells us Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the top of the Mount Transfiguration. So this is a kind of a, he's a connecting sort of Elijah story. Jesus' life as a fulfillment of Elijah's story. Interestingly, Jesus, when he went to Jerusalem, he didn't go directly to Jerusalem, but to Samaria first. And some of you who reading the Bible right now, and those of you who read the Gospel of John, or were doing a John Disciples one in our church, they you know that the Jews did not travel from Samaria to Jerusalem or Judea directly, even though Samaria was a right you know between the northern area Galilee and southern area Judea it's the most logical route to go through, but Jewish people, they actually went around the Samaria, either from Jordan River side or coastline. Why? They had a mutual animosity and hostility to each other. So verse 52, Jesus sent messengers on ahead and who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people, Samaritan there, did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Samaritans were racially mixed people. You know, these days, that's not the, you know, uh, you have to be careful when you use a term like that, right? But that's the fact that they are racially mixed people. So, just a little bit of background, historical background is after Solomon, uh, David's kingdom was divided into two, north and south. Northern kingdom, also called Israel, was later conquered by Assyrians. And Assyrians were very, Clever colonizers. They have a devilish plan uh, of uh, managing their empire. That was that uh, they mass deported uh, one group of people from one area to the other end of uh, their empire and brought the other people from other end of empire to, in this case, you know, Northern Kingdom, and uh, created a mixed race to blur their ethnic national identity to rebel against them. So, Southern Kingdom, the Judah, so-called the Judah, by the way, you know, we call Jewish people Jew. Where do you think that name came from? From Judah. They are the descendants of a Judah. That's what Jews Jew stand for. Hated, they are racially mixed half-brothers, Samaritans. And uh, actually, there were numerous wars between them. And Samaritans were not welcome to Jerusalem temple, and they built their own temple in their own mountain called the Mountain Gerizim. And they have even their own version of a Torah or a Pentateuch. In one word, Samaritans developed their own version of a worship of Yahweh. And that's why Jewish people hated them furthermore. You know, amazing story about Jesus today is that in spite of Samaritans' racial religious difference, Jesus decided to went through the Samaria because Jesus loved both Samaritans and Jews and everyone. And here one thing we need to recognize that Jesus didn't minister in the vacuum of racial, ethnic, religious tensions. And Jesus today shows us a great role model: how to love people who is so different from us. Amen. So Jesus is a great role model of, a, you know, minister or, you know, cast, you know definitely God's, you know, love in the midst of human divisions. When Samaritans rejected Jesus with de- their usual prejudice to Jews and Jerusalem, you know, two disciples of Jesus, John and James, responded in this way. And same way, they said, that, uh, verse 54, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Here we must remember, this was not an emotional reaction. Actually, this is a thinking reaction, because a similar incident happened about 900 years ago. So, a king of Israel or king of Samaria, named a guy named Ahaziah. Ahaziah. He was son of infamous king Ahab and Jezebel. Was sick, and he sent a messenger to the temple of Baal-zebub, the god of Akron, to see if he would, he would recover. And Elijah was told by God to intercept the messenger and told him, this is 2 Kings chapter 1, verse, uh, what is that, verse 3, said, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire about Baal-zebub, the god of Akron? And let me tell you, you're going to die. That's what God told you know, King Ahaziah through Elijah. And Ahaziah was upset. And he sent the 50 soldiers and captain to arrest, capture, you know, Elijah. And when they came to capture Elijah, Elijah said this. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down in heaven and consumed them. That's the 1st uh, King chapter 1. I mean, 2nd Kings chapter 1. Guess what Ahaziah did? He's so smart. He sent another 50 soldiers and captain. And same thing happened again. And then what did he do? He sent a third delegation. And if you're the captain of a third delegation, how do you feel? He came to Elijah with a trembling. He said, O man of God, please let my life and life of these 50 men of servant, servant of yours, Servant of yours. He's a servant of Ahaziah, but we are not Ahaziah's servant. We know you are powerful than our king. Spare us. Let our life be precious in your sight. So John and James today remember that story and wanted to repeat the same miracle for Jesus. And of course, Jesus didn't go with their biblical advice. Okay? So, you know, we need to know Bible, you know, just knowing Bible is not enough. You have to know how to apply. So, John and James said, let's do the same miracle. We know you are powerful than, you know, Elijah. Now, what is the Luke's intention of including the story of a Samaritan's rejection of Jesus at the beginning of a Jesus' journey to Jerusalem? Can you guess? Luke was highlighting this motif of rejection in Jesus' life and ministry. What Samaritans did to Jesus at the beginning of journey was a preview about what Jewish leaders would do to Jesus in Jerusalem at the end of their journey. So Jesus will be rejected by Samaritans and will be rejected by Jews at the end. And here it is Very obvious, but sometimes we overlook the fact that when we're doing a work of God, it's not always welcome. Don't expect other people to applaud you. Actually, you can be resisted and even rejected. With this prelude, let us hear the conversation between Jesus and three would be disciples and see the footprints of a discipleship that our Lord wants us to have, want us to take. So, first would be disciple. Gave Jesus a perfect obedience. Verse 57. I will follow you. And by the way, it started, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus. You know, uh, we don't know the name of this man. We don't know much about this background, where he came from. You know, uh, ESB actually translates as someone. Someone said to Jesus. I like to actually ESB because someone means anyone. Anyone can say this. Any one of us can say this. That is, I will follow you wherever you go. To such an affirmation of a faith, guess what? Jesus didn't thank him, but gave him a caution. Foxes have a dance and birds have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here, Jesus is telling us the discipleship is not comfortable like a home, but an uncomfortable and unstable like a foreign place. So first footstep of a discipleship is a foreign or even forlorn. You know, foreign, forlorn. It'll be strange experience, uncomfortable experience. Following Jesus will never make you comfortable. Yes, get the fact. You know, when when Jamie and I got married and uh, we were planning to uh planning a honeymoon, people said that uh, Pastor Paul, rule of, I mean, what is it? Rule of thumb for the honeymoon, don't go to a foreign country where you don't speak the language. We went to Switzerland and Germany. And, oh, uh, you know, by the way, Swiss, they are multilingual. Most of them speak English. You have no problem. Germany, different story. Sprechen English? Nine. Well, okay, then from that point on, you have to do sign language, you know? Anyway. The first footprint of a discipleship is foreign, even forlorn. And Jesus accentuated the following Jesus was often unpredictable, unsafe, and less homey than the even life of animals. And by the way, why did Jesus mention fox among all animals? Jesus could say bears, lions have then Why does he mention fox? Because later in Luke chapter 13, 32, Jesus called King Herod fox. When some people said, Jesus, Herod tried to kill you. You know, uh, go to some safe place. And then Jesus said, go tell that fox that I'll keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. On the third day, I will reach my goal. So Jesus used the word fox because, you know, he was basically telling this, you know, would-be disciple That yes, as you see, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm I'm going to be a king, but I'm going to be a different kind of king. I'm going to be king who will sacrifice his life for those who resist and rebel. So if you're going to follow me as your future king, you should prepare to brace yourself with the danger and even death. So Jesus is basically asking this would be disciple, do you know what kind of king you're following? And the, here is Jesus telling us all, you know, the plain truth that following Jesus leads us to take a foreign, fighting, frustrating, frustrated footprints in unsafe, uncomfortable, un- unstable life. And the, this is a very common, you know. Han is not here today because he's taking uh, Sarah to, I mean, Hannah to a college tour. But, you know, our, uh, uh, how do I call Han, Brother Han or whatever, Han, Han Cheng. you know why he uh, returned to the U.S. from the northern Iraq where he served 80 years as a missionary? ISIS came in the middle of the night, and he has to pack everything and deliver in the middle of the night. You know, last Thursday, I had a privilege of meeting our new mission partner in Turkey, Tim and Sarah. And uh, they told me their story. And after two years of language training in, in Turkey, when they were praying for where to go, where, which, which, you know, where to serve, God convicted them to take over one small church where their pastor, who was a German missionary, was recently murdered that's what God called them and that's the church they served the last you know 14 years and then recently they threatened again and they left Turkey and they moved to border of Turkey and Georgia Republic of Georgia a place called the Batumi and it's on the Black Sea it's not far from the Ukraine He knows, so I get a lot of first hand story about Ukraine in that whole place and then they have four children, two of them born in Turkey. They're teenagers, 14 and 17. They miss their Turkish friends. For them, they lost a the native land. This is the life of a people who are following God. So when you follow God, following Jesus literally sometimes leads us to walk on foreign soils. Following Jesus often entails a wandering. But thank God, as a token said in the Lord of the Rings, Not all the wanderings are lost. Not all the glitterings are the gold, right? Now, you know, this week I was reading some other books that related to this question of discipleship. And the one book that I came was the uh, book written by uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Dutch Christian thinker and philosopher, so-called the father of existentialism. And in his, uh, you know, uh, spiritual writing, this is what it says, Soren Kierkegaard said. The greatest danger to Christianity is, I contend, not heresies, heterodoxies, uh, not atheists, not profane secularism, but the kind of orthodoxy which is a cordial, drivable, and mediocrity served up sweet. According to Kierkegaard, the arch enemy of a Christian faith is not a heretic or a cult. It is a comfortable, convenient, consumer-oriented Christianity. And then furthermore, later he said this, the difference between an admirer and follower still remains. No matter where you are, admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words, phrases, and songs, he's inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ, he renounces nothing, gives up nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not be what he admires, and will not let his life express what it is he supposedly admires. So let me ask all of us, are you admirer or follower of Jesus? And also, I was, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, reading again the classical book on discipleship, The Cost of a Discipleship, written by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Christian pastor who was, you know, asked uh, uh, some Christians to organize the underground uh, uh, seminary for the future pastors of a confessional churches in Germany in 1935. Those who step out of the Lutheran church who, you know, side with uh, supporting uh, Hitler and the Nazism. And he wrote a, you know he wrote a two famous book out of the experience. One is a life together that many of our church shepherds you know read and meditated, and the other one is a cost of discipleship. And this is what you know uh, interesting thing that Rabanappa said. Be not anxious, earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide the security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time. They're the very source of all anxiety. Isn't that interesting? You know, the paradox of a material comfort and the financial security, financial security is that they actually make us more insecure and much more weaken our spirit, our trust in God. I'm not saying financial security is an evil thing. No, I'm not saying that. But if that takes your, your confidence in God, yes. It is not a good thing. It is an idol. Actually, you know, paradoxical truth is this. The, the, you know, the foreign and fearful discipleship of a following Christ in the unsafe and then unpredictable place liberates us from this temporary worldly security to eternal, never-changing security of Christ. Amen? So first step of a discipleship is a foreign or forlorn now second conversation about discipleship today was someone who had seemingly a legit reason to delay so verse 59 this time jesus said to another man you follow me but he replied lord first let me go and bury my father you know burying one's parents was a very important back then as now it was the last act of honoring your parents that everybody was expected to do back then. But you should know, this seemingly legit reason was actually an excuse because it was not the case that his father was dying right now or on the dying on the bed or just dead. You know, if that's the case, he would not be talking to Jesus now. Why? In Palestine, the weather is so hot when somebody is dead, they immediately bury that person in the same day. Otherwise, the stench of a corpse is so big. So it's not like his father is dying and about to die. He's just saying that as an excuse. He's basically saying that let me take up my father and then I will follow you. He's someone who excuses himself with the less important causes or penultimate causes. I call these Christians later followers. Later followers. Do you know later followers? I'll follow you, Jesus, later when I have better schedule. I'll follow you, Jesus, when I later when I graduate from college. I'll follow you, Jesus, later when I get job. I'll follow you, Jesus, later when I have a kid. I'll follow you, Jesus, later when my kids graduate from high school and go to college. I'll follow Jesus, later when I retire. Later, later, later. It's a later. This is a deception of a delay. Deception of a delay. Huge spiritual, you know, problem. You know, we all know that. We all said that. I'll start my exercise. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Some of you know that I'm you know, I love and cherish Latin America. I'm from there. I love Latin America. Because they have a family-oriented culture. They're not rugged individualists like uh, Yankees or Americans. And they are uh, racially less discriminating than America. They don't have a problem with people, you know, black people, Negro. you You know, Negrito, Negrita. America, you use the end word, you're done, right? Your public life is done. I love Latin America, but there's a one thing I really feel bad about them. That's a word called manana. Manana. What is a manana? Tomorrow. Or manana, t- morning, but tomorrow. You know, over there, whenever you ask something, some legit request, either business or government or whatever entity, you will never say, you will never hear no. But instead no, they will say manana. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. And the reason I feel bad about that is the manana is the ultimate passive aggressive excuse. I suspect it's a remnant of a colonial culture in Latin America. Because you cannot say no to your master. When master asks you something, you cannot say no. But you don't want to do it? Instead of saying no, you say, I'll do tomorrow. You know, mañana, mañana. mañana is a disguised no. It is a false promise. And I think uh, Satan capitalized this a tactic of a delay more than anybody. So whenever we try to go to God, there's a little prompting of the Holy Spirit in us. Satan right away, oh, you're too busy. There's so many, you know, excuses. He helped us that uh, you cannot do that. Do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. Mañana, mañana. Right now I have a few people in my prayers that are in spiritual slump. I call it swamp of a later spirituality. They are stuck in their knees and wishes. They will not move or follow Jesus until they get their wishes and st- until they get their wishes. So right now they are standing down. They're sitting down. And I want to tell them that they are actually not just uh, sitting down. They are following their idols. That's why they are standing down. So, is that following Jesus your first priority or not? To make a point, let me quote. Surprising American thinker name. uh, Ricky Bobby, the star of a Talagite night. Do we have that picture? Who said, if you ain't first, you're the last. That is uh you know a million dollar quote, you know, worth quote. If you ain't first, you are the last. If Jesus is not the first in your life, let me warn you, your life will not have a good, good fruit. So to ask God to help you to do something now and then ask God to do more tomorrow. Don't just postpone whole thing to tomorrow do whatever you can do right now. Now is the time. Now is important Let me give you a radical statement for you to chew on this topic. Once again Dietrich Bonhoeffer he said in his book Cost of Discipleship this Jesus is the only significance Besides Jesus, nothing has a significance. He alone matters. What do you think about that? College grad, graduate schools, professionals? you know? How do you think about this statement? Jesus is the only significance, because beside Jesus, nothing has a significance. He alone matters. Jesus is the only significance because he is the one who makes. All, he is the one who makes all things significant You know why? Because He's a creator Through the word of Jesus Bible said everything was created And God made us His image And Jesus is the image of God You and I were created to be like Jesus So if we align If we don't align our life Along with Jesus We are totally missing point of our life We all follow God But you know what Jesus said? Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Unless we follow Jesus or God first, we are not following. It is the first following that matters. First following that matters. So what is your first priority? Earlier, Zoom service, I shared, you know, after the sermon, we have a, a Zoom breakout fellowship. And everybody shared one thing they were you know, blessed or touched or you know, challenged. And then uh, our good Daniel Clark said, Pastor Paul, this is a very painful sermon. And uh, this is a very painful sermon. So I said, Daniel, please tell the people that I'm going to preach the most soothing sermon today. Very comfortable sermon today. Did you, anybody talk to Daniel? If you feel heat, you are with Daniel and many of us. Now let me go to the third and final uh, conversation. This person, verse 61, said, I'll follow you, Lord, once again, but first, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the floor and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, saying goodbye to one's family is again legit and even biblical. Because if you look at the first king chapter 19, you know, when Elijah called Elisha to follow him as a disciple, you know what Elisha asked? First nine. I mean, do we have, do we have, yeah, Elisha asked, to Elijah that let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then Elijah said, no problem. You know, uh, he said, what have I done to you? Go back, yeah, that's fine with me. I'm not going anywhere, I'll wait for you. Now, while Elijah allowed Elijah to go back to say goodbye to his parents, how come Jesus didn't allow this basic, you know, etiquette of a child to parents? Why? have to remember this because at this moment jesus was going to jerusalem if we miss it this jesus you know what he's going to miss he's going to miss the greatest redemptive work of god that will place that will take in a few weeks and nothing is greater than following jesus and witnessing the work of God's redemptive work through is a crucifixion and resurrection. Do you know, knowing Jesus is not only, you know, knowing Jesus is actually even good for our own family. If we know who Jesus is and what he has done, it's not only good for us, it's ultimately good for our family. Best thing actually we can do our family is to follow Jesus first and to leave a solid footprint for our family members, especially our children, to see and later follow. And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Jesus gave this you know, farming analogy. When you plow the ground, you cannot constantly look back. And what do what you do? When you look back, what happens? You go, you know, you cannot plow the field straight. So this is the third and final point. Footprint of Jesus or discipleship is a forward-looking. It's forward-looking, not backward-looking or looking backward. And I know that many people looking back into the past, I know people who are stuck in the past. I know people who can take off their gaze off from their past. Right now, I'm praying someone who is traumatized by the church experience in the past. His whole family was traumatized, you know, uh, by bad church experience. So his friends is encouraging him to move on, but he cannot move on because he's he constantly looking back. It's really heartbreaking. I suspect that many of us stuck in the past, not because of, you know, somebody traumatized us, but actually we did something in the past. We are the ones who caused the misery or trauma, and that we can, you know, get out of the guilt. So we constantly remember our past. President of a Princeton uh, Theological Seminary, my second alma mater, my first alma mater is a bailer. Yes, it compares. But anyway, uh, Craig Barnes, he's a great pastor, and he said this. Most people prefer misery they know to mystery they do not. Think about it. Most people prefer misery they know to mystery they do not. You know, logically, mystery beats a misery. But human hearts are not logical. You know, indeed, you know, As a people, we prefer to stick to what we know. Such as, we are comfortable in conversational, you know, know, the topics of conversations that we know. You know, we are more comfortable. We stick to the familiar uh, television shows. And when you go to the restaurant, we always order the same thing. Most of us, right? yeah. I'm very rare. I actually like to order different menus. I'm a very adventurer. Yeah, know that. But Jamie? Chicken parmesan, chicken parmesan, chicken parmesan, chicken parmesan. <laughs> okay. Someone edit this part. All right. I get, you know, I'm more a little seriously. We are nearer to people who look like us, people think and talk like us, or places more familiar than new. I know it is a human nature to go with what we already know. And we, and the reason for that is we'd rather be confident than unsure. You know, we want to be confident than unsure. And the scripture is a very, you know, full of stories like that. You know, Israelite, when they were liberated from, you know, uh, you know, Egypt, and God is leading them to promised land, what do they constantly look at? They're not looking for the promise of God that God you know, leading them, and God said it's a land of milk and honey. But they constantly looking back to Egypt. And they're saying, oh, you know, Egypt, we had a watermelon. By this time, we had a whatever fresh fruit. What is this thinking, you know, who knows what manner? As if, you know, Egypt was a paradise or even a resort. They're lying. You know, we are so comfortable with the devil we know, then, You know, want to know, devil we don't know. But I want to say this. In my journey with Christ, I found out. Unknown future with Christ is far more soothing and assuring things than my comfortable past. Every time Jesus took me out to the new venture, it ended amazing. It ended amazing. So, dear brothers and sisters, I challenge you. Look forward. Take a step forward. Stop looking backward. That's what Apostle Paul said in the Philippians chapter 3. This is the last scripture passage I'm going to quote today. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul accomplished a lot by this time. But he said, but I press on to make it own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what, I, what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the outward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the most amazing part of this passage, Paul said, I'm trying to make Jesus mine because he made me his. Jesus made up my sin and shame and his, and then he really changed me. Now it is my turn to make a Jesus mine. I want to make Jesus completely mine, that every part of my life belongs to Jesus. Every area of my life is, you know, make, is, belongs to Jesus. Every second, every day belongs to Jesus. Not just Sunday, not just Friday, every day. It is my goal and drive to Think and feel and speak and act like Christ. That is Paul's prayer. What about us? Let me close our message with a quote from the Nielsen, you know, Rockefeller. He said, you cannot leave a footprint that lasts if you are, oh, he said, you can leave a footprint in the sand of time while you're sitting down. He also said, you can leave a footprint that lasts if you are always walking on tiptoes. And let us stop tiptoeing. Let us stop cherry-picking. But let us start stomping boldly on the footprints of Jesus, our Savior, and the Good Shepherd. Let's pray.